Welcome to This Emergency Life, a podcast about your emergency life. I wonder if you could just start by introducing yourself. Hello, Cliff. Nice to meet up with you. I'm Julie Fanook and I've been um, involved in uh, nursing for a long time. I suppose I started nursing in 1975 and um, it was, uh, I really fell into nursing and it was probably three years in my training before I realised, yes, I think I'm happy nursing. I'd previously been a police officer and um, I wanted to get into juvenile aid and that sort of thing. I'd started social work and hadn't really studied because I'd just left school and I really wanted to have a good time. So I stopped the social work. I didn't know you were a police officer. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was, I um, always wanted to be a, a police officer. Um, I'd watched Division 4 many years ago <laughs> and that was one of the early early days of um, police um, dramas. And um, anyway, it was something that I felt I really wanted to do and I wanted to get into juvenile aid. But in after I joined and been in for a while, they changed their mind and took juvenile aid out of police. So... I probably wasn't ever going to make a great policewoman, but um, I was in for about a year and a half. So. <laughs> oh wow! At, at Division four. We're going to have to explain that a tiny bit for the uh, m the majority of the listeners will never even heard of it. It was a, it's an iconic Australian um, police drama action show. Um, probably one of the first. Mm, quite yeah. corny, really, but um, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So you you worked in there for you did you say just over a year or about a, bit a year and a half I think it was in the end and um, and then I thought well I'll try nursing and um, as I said I fell into nursing and um, I make a much better nurse I think than I did a police officer and but I was ducks of this I was ducks of the squad um, in the police academy when I joined there. So that was a nice time of my life, very fit time. We did judo and swimming and it was it was great and learned a lot about law and all of that and, and people. Well and so, that was in and that was in Queensland Julie? Yes, yes it was. And in those days you used to have to use a weapon. You had to learn how to shoot. And um, that was probably for me at that time in my life quite challenging. <laughs> So I, I, I then later joined the Defence Force where you actually do have to learn to shoot, you know, and defend yourself. Yeah. You have a lot of affiliations with and indeed, are you still a colonel in the Australian yes, Army? Yes, yes, Cliff, I am. And I've been in the Defence Force for 40 years. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your attraction there. What was, what, what was that about? I think I probably have a bit of a uniform fetish. So, <laughs> to be honest, and, um, and because the police uniform, I like the discipline and um, all of that. And I suppose I went into nursing, we wore, wore a uniform, but I easily got into defence. I joined in, in October 1980, which was, you know, five years after I started nursing. 
and had a friend who was a recruitment officer. So she got me into it and that's been a wonderful part of my life. And the links with emergency nursing and defence is really quite strong, you know. So, yeah. There's another podcast out there by a young fella called um, called Ben, who was originally one of my students. And he's also um, in the army now as an emergency nurse. So that's 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 amazing. We get, we're actually going to come back to some of the work that you do across um, the services and. Um, Certainly, with the with the Memorial Foundation, um, we will come back to that um, before we move away from the seventies, though. And you have talked about, you know, you moved into nursing, you kind of fell into it. In do you think you would be able to describe what it was about nursing? I mean, I can talk about why I went mm -hmm. into nursing, but for mm -hmm. yourself in the seventies. Yeah, I, um, I think it was about helping people and being able to care for people. It was a real privilege and I suppose that's grown in my nursing career since I began and, um, and I think that's probably something that keeps you in nursing really. Um, all the other politics are around but the patients still exist and you still support them whatever level you're in in your nursing career. So. And you're, you're still going strong. You're a director of nursing at... Um correct me if I'm wrong here, but at the Prince Alexander? I, w I was at Princess Alexandra in Brisbane as a nurse unit manager in emergency for many years. Now I'm working as a nursing director for medical at QE2 Hospital, which is not far from PA and it's part of the Metro South. Yeah, so. Okay. Yep. No, I'm a Melbourne boy, so I have lived in Queensland, but never um, in in Brisbane. I was yeah, much sure, further north okay. than that. So please go ahead. And I think Ben. I know Ben through defence. So I've had oh, a yeah. lot of links with, and you do. You have a lot of linkages and friendships and yeah. camaraderie across. You the must go Australia. on to his show. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He's a lot more professional at it than I am. I'm, uh, I'm ashamed to say that. Yeah, no, he's he's an awesome. He's an awesome nurse. I've uh, he was one of our stars um, at Monash Nursing and Midwifery in his undergrad. Um, did a lot of leadership stuff with um, leading near peer teaching and sub led a whole program where the final year students came in and taught our undergrads. But anyway, it's, this is not about Ben. This is this is about you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was interested to see that you started as an RN, but you also became registered as a midwife. Um, can you tell us yes. about this slight shift and how long you practiced as a, a midwife? I didn't practice very long as a midwife. I did my midi at, um, I went from PA Hospital in Brisbane to Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital in Brisbane. And I did my midi for 12 months there. And um, I went out to Julia Creek for a while after that and practiced dual um, RN and midwifery. And that was pretty scary, really. Um, I had the books out the back while we were delivering twins and one of them was breached. So <laughs> it was sort of, I thought, oh, oh this God. is a bit too scary. So uh, I ended up coming back. And you're flicking through and, a book. <laughs> yeah, just to confirm with the doctor who was also out there and yeah. um, getting yeah. <laughs> prepared for something. But uh, anyway, the babies were delivered well and, um, you know, I think there was quite a few prayers going on that day, but um, 
It went well. Yeah, I, I bet. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Well, um, um, I, I, I don't know that area that you mentioned. Is that that's obviously a rural yeah, part of Queensland? It's Queensland, up yeah. near Townsville, out from um, Townsville towards Mount Isa. So only about 660 people population at that time. So. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, and uh, you know, most of our listeners will know in order to work rurally as a nurse, you really yeah. need to be a, a midwife as yeah, well. Yeah, and yeah. I actually thought it was going to be good for defence too, and I have used it in defence deployments, um, midwifery when I right. was in Bougainville. Yep. And uh, we delivered yep. quite a number of babies, so it was a really good skill to have there. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... so I'm going to bring us, this show's called This Emergency Life, so I'm going to bring mm-hmm. you back a little bit towards emergency care. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you first get involved in emergency care or in the emergency department and um, why was this the direction that your nursing career took? I also fell into emergency nursing, really. I was working in <laughs> in the ward areas and uh, I was doing study and uh, needing about 16 hours of face-to-face study at uni at that time. And um, I asked, was there any jobs going that I could do night duty? So I commenced in emergency in 1986 and, um, you know, ended up on night duty and could finish my qualifications that I was doing at that time. So... I, um, that's how I fell into emergency nursing. And, you know, then I, I ended up in 1992, I think it was, with the career structure changes. I applied for two jobs on, in the one week. And one was for the CNC, I think it was the title at the time, of emergency department at PA Hospital, and um, which is equivalent to the nurse unit manager role these days. And, um, and I also um, applied for a CNC of palliative care and I got the emergency num role and, um, and then stayed in emergency till 2008, nine. And um, that's when I probably got really active, yeah. I want to talk a little bit before we get into your um, actual clinical work. And even though you're still going strong in the Mm. healthcare sector, um, we have um, a, I've been a member of the College of Emergency Nursing for quite a long time, nowhere near as long as you, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm quite embarrassed to say that it's not until recently that I've really made a concerted effort to, uh, you know, give something back to the college through branch committee membership and so on. Um, you, on the other hand, have a very different story to tell about your involvement with CENA and indeed, you know, the Queensland Emergency Nurse Association. Um, and obviously, uh, CENA and your powerful influence uh, in the role of the college. Would you mind telling us a little bit about um the inception of all of that and and your involvement? Yes, certainly, Cliff. I um, probably started getting involved with the uh, Queensland Emergency Nursing Association from when I started in emergency and I ended up 
um, doing quite a number of roles there. And we um, it was a great little group, as all the state associations were. And I ended up the, the president of the Queensland Emergency Nurses Association. And I suppose like all state associations, um, we really were very proud of our links with the state associations. Well, probably in 2000, started talking to colleagues across Australia and certainly heavily within Queensland to have a think, was there a better way that we could influence? And uh, it was really not about maintaining all our various state associations, but does do Australian emergency nurses consider it's important to become a college that we can be better recognised and have more influences across healthcare. So we started a survey and um, sent it to all the state branches and really we got an overwhelming response back to say that even though each state really was so proud of their state groups, they felt that coming together as a, a combined Australian college we would be in a better place. So we continued that progression. I had some really good friends um, in emergency circles who really helped support that. People like Judy Harris, who's now retired, and um, she was really so wonderful within the Queensland group and helped support this change as well. And um, anyway, we progressed through that and um, worked together to um, create the College of Emergency Nursing and um, we, you know, that all became a board in um, April 2013 and um, 2003, sorry, <laughs> I've, I've skipped a decade and, um, you know, <laughs> and um, from there it's sort of a story which became really um, part, all part of my life really. I probably have given so much in creating this college, but we had some wonderful people that were part of that and wonderful friendships and we we're all committed to making a difference. So I suppose today I look at the college and I think I'm really so very proud that it's come to where it is today, you know, and I think um, the executive and certainly Julia Morford always sort of makes and the team always sort of continues to include me which I think is really very nice um, because it has been part of my life and part of my passion in growing a college that is sustainable. We had pretty scary times in the early days uh, financially. Were we viable? Uh, were we insolvent? And, um, and I really owe a lot of um, you know, thanks to those who stayed with me, even though we were worried about our financial situation, because I think today people don't really understand um, how scary it was in those days. We wanted to keep the journal alive, and that was an expensive um, thing for us at that stage, but yet it was such an important thing, and for that to continue today and to grow today. You know, the appointment of the executive director, that was um, an interview that I held with Ramon Chabon. And, you know, that's such a positive outcome for all of that. And he's continued to grow the college through that 
AUEC, which which is all with um, all his other um, editors and associate editors and wonderful team that he's got who progressed the professionalism of emergency nursing and practice. And, you know, when I look back on those, I think I'm so proud to have been able to start that journey and for others to continue and to grow. Yeah, I'm getting a bit emotional. <laughs> so <laughs> I wish I could yeah. pass a tissue over the internet to you. <laughs> and you should be, you should yeah. be because look, the, the, and we're going to, we're going to talk about how you have been recognized for this work, obviously in a few minutes. Um, you you jumped and you answered my next few questions beautifully, which kind of leads me to this one. And here's a bit of a challenge to you. Obviously, senior membership is completely a choice that's made by each individual nurse in the emergency departments around Australasia. Um, what would you say to emergency nurses starting out in the ED about senior membership and its importance? I think a lot of young nurses don't really understand the, the importance. You know, it's not just about coming to work and doing your work, but it's about providing a, a venue and an opportunity for us to link in and improve things in our emergency practice. Because unless we do that ongoing, uh, we're not gonna survive in the way we should. You know, it's a tough gig, emergency. I look after emergency in my current clinic, in my current role in the hospital, as well as a few other areas. And the challenges just keep going. So, but I think um, we can do a lot by um, ensuring that we continue professional practice, that we, I'm on the professional um, practice standards working group and I'm on the College of Emergency Nursing Trauma Nursing Program, which um, I was also instrumental in moving that um, along in those early days of the college. And today that's growing. So all of those things is about people who are committed to continuing to improve. And, and there's a lot of young nurses who are part of these groups. And I would encourage nurses to get involved because you, feel you, you, you create a much better workforce, you create a much more professional group and you have some say in how we want to run healthcare across Australia. And as nurses, it's not easy to do that, but through the professional colleges, we have a much better opportunity to do that. Yeah, look, so I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, absolutely, and 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 I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't want to keep banging on about Cena, but it is such a, a, a ridiculously important part of the emergency care community, especially for nurses. Um, and I, I, you know, you the listeners will get a view of um, my view of the work that Cena and the direction it's taking. Um, over, uh, uh, over the next few podcasts. Um, suffice to say, I'm a big fan. Um, um, I guess it's, I don't want to dwell too much on Cena, um, but yeah, look, it, 
It really is. And, and the things that you get for your membership dollar nowadays in Cena is so much more than when I first joined. Um, they've really worked, or we have really worked hard to make your whole membership a really worthwhile investment. And the, the other thing about it that I, the first thing that struck me was when you go to, for example, go to ISOM, the international conference that Cena run each year, you get to hear what everybody else around Australasia and the world are dealing with in ED. And you know what? Everybody's got very similar issues that they're dealing with. You often feel a bit isolated that, oh, my ED is just dealing with this. Coming slightly back to the world of your clinical area um, and your clinical work in the emergency department. I often think back to my years as a, a clinical nurse, as a clinical nurse specialist and an ED nurse educator. Um, and some of my new ED nurses, when they first started out in the job, um, obviously tra transitioning to the role in a completely kind of some of them transitioned to the role in a very frictionless way, um, but others sometimes were overwhelmed by a you know a variety of reasons. And while the role of the EDCNE goes um, way beyond sort of clinical expertise and teaching, um, I was quite surprised at the amount of pastoral type care that you need to do in the role of an educator, um, and just how heavily that featured in your day to day work. You, however, were a numb at Brisbane's um, PA hospital for more than 15 years. Um, what, what did you find were the most common concerns your staff brought to you and what advice um, can you give in particular to nurses who are new to the emergency department? I think probably, Cliff, it's about embracing the challenge, trying to trying to look after yourself because, you know, it is tough. So you need something that clears your brain when you come home from a shift. Certainly seek the help of the people you work with. And if you are struggling, certainly go and seek some outside help. Some emergency nursing isn't for everyone. However, it's it's a great career. And, um, and I think, you know, these days we have nurses who do the transition to practice in emergency as soon as they start their graduate year and i think you know sometimes that can be a real challenge so you know probably not working totally full-time is a good plan because it's constant um, patient load that comes but it still is a great privilege to be able to be an emergency nurse because you see people at the, the start of their life, their end of their life, and help them through the challenges of so much in their, in their health-related and life situations. So I think it's still a wonderful career. And, um, you know, certainly do postgraduate study in it and, um, and really go on to contribute to the profession as well. Yeah, that, that's interesting to hear you say, go on to do the postgrad. Um, you, it was my sense when I first did my postgrad that before that conversations would happen at handover where everybody would recognize cues in the handover about the patient's condition. And I just wasn't getting it until I did postgrad. And then I had that 
you know, for me, the first year, and I think a lot of my postgrad students in the past, the first year after you do your postgrad is probably the biggest shift in your learning where you really start to consolidate things. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned how, you know, don't work full time. Um, it's so rare nowadays to see people work full time. I've worked full time for, I don't know, a good decade before I realised, hang on a minute, you don't actually really need to do this. But I also used to, with um, new nurses starting in the ED, and in that first few weeks, it can be quite traumatic. I'd often say things that my numb wasn't that wrapped about, but I would tell them to, look, if you're feeling that you're getting worn out by this job, take a break, take some time off. You can always come back to it. And I certainly have. I've taken time off, done something completely different to emergency nursing and then always came back, you know, and you can take a year, you can take two, you can take as many as you like and you can you can always come back. Yeah. Thank and you, you can so much. Also I'm going to move. Yeah, all right. Go on. No, no, go yeah. ahead, please, please. No, no, You can please. also do, do things with emergency like it's a really good tool to get into defense and all of that sort of linkages so there's lots more than just emergency nursing in a hospital situation as well that helps into the future in your career thanks and i'm going to come back actually to to some of the stuff that you have done that where you've used your emergency skills, I don't know, maybe even your midwifery skills um, out, outside the department itself. And we will come back to that. But preparing for this interview, uh, look, I found it really difficult to decide which of your achievements to really focus on. Um, and from your position in the Defence Force to your work in the Centaur Memorial Fund for Nurses, there's obviously a huge elephant in the room that we can't forget to come back to <clears throat> a little thing called uh, a medal of honor of australia um, but we will come back to that um, before we get there though in 2005 you were part of the queensland health's um, uh, team foxtrot which responded to the um, disaster in um, in banda arche uh, you know i think it, it killed somewhere upwards of 170,000 people. Can you tell us about this time and the work you were involved in there? Yeah, it, um, it was a real privilege to be able to go. There was lots of discussion before we went. We thought no one was going from Queensland. And in the end, I didn't go in the, the first group that went to um, when the incident occurred, but I left um, Australia about the 11th of January and uh, I was the liaison officer and also the person who was coordinating all the stores and equipment. Um, and that was, it was a pretty complex preparation and Queensland Ambulance helped us. They had their area in the north side of Brisbane and we collected a lot of donations of equipment from companies as well. And anyway, we packed all this information up and I all this um, equipment up and um, sorted out drugs and as much as we could and um, then we I went on the advance party for health team Foxtrot and when I left someone gave me a little um, angel uh, um, a soft angel uh, like a bear angel to carry in my luggage and um, that was to make sure that I took time for me and um, wanted to get home safely and it was a really lovely thought and um you know the, it was 
It was an incredible time to be there. Uh, probably the things you remember are things like the smell of death when you arrive and mm. drive in from the airport. Lots of, um, you know, earthquake tremors that occurred and people were really frightened. Um, the mental health of these poor um, people who were affected that I think probably never would get over some of that trauma. Certainly the the um, tetanus, I have never seen tetanus in my life like that, but the amount of tetanus and the inter Inter the relationships that we had with medical and nursing and um, there was about a third of the group that went which was about 25 26 people in our team they were uh, defense force personnel so you know we had environmental health and nursing and medical as well so we had really good links so that we could link in with the Australian Defense Force over there and they could give us some things and we could give them some things as needed and that linkage was really important for me so we did go and visit at the wonderful hospital that they'd set up behind the airfield and um you know it's something i'll never forget it the people i'll never forget they um our team was great and we all shared together i, I remember we were over there on australia day and um we ended up um, bartering from it. We gave um, Defence Force something and we got these 11 small cans of Coke and we had a wonderful party that we put on on the night of Australia Day and these 26 people shared these 11 little cans <laughs> of Coke. <laughs> so they're some of the things you remember and um, you know we had some really incredible times together really and um, the people over there wanted to learn as much English as they could when we were there. I ended up looking after the central sterilising section and I had no idea apart from my training days to how to do that. And um, Had to use um, an autoclave. <laughs> yes, and it was one of those screw ones at the top that you had to throw all the trays <laughs> in. Well, when I came back one night after going up to a meeting, um, I came back and turned off the steriliser and all these trays had all melted into into each other oh, in no. the sterile. <laughs> so um, oh, no. there were some of the challenges of learning on the job. <laughs> but um, anyway, we, we all got there. We all came home safely and, um, you know, it was great exactly. times really to be part of that. How long after the initial earthquake was that? Uh, it happened on um, Boxing night i think the 26th of december so we it was probably close to three weeks so you know a lot of the earlier teams would have really seen it um really in difficult situations but you still saw bodies on the side of the road even then so you know incredible damage and incredible situation for all those people involved so Amazing, amazing, and so mm. sad. And um, it was interesting to hear you men mention tetanus. Um, you know, me most of us have never seen, I've seen tetanus once, um, and I've been a nurse for over 30 years, um, and how important it is. But to see it at that level must have been just overwhelming. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, as I alluded to earlier, Julie, 
we can't avoid this. You were awarded the Medal of Honour um, of Australia for your work in emergency care and the community. For those of us who will never experience such a thing, um, would you mind telling us about the experience and, mm. and, and what led up to that? For me, it was a really big surprise. You know, you get a little bit of warning before it gets announced. And I actually at the time thought, oh, look, I don't warrant this. I think I'll say, no, you know, this isn't, um, you know, an honour that I feel I can accept. But I didn't do that. And I think a lot of people go through that um, concern in their own head. And um it was, I laugh these days because it was called um, for services to nursing, particularly in the areas of accident and emergency care and community. So I, you know, we don't call ourselves accident emergency anymore, but that was what the honour was for. And I think it was a combination of, you know, possibly my work, obviously, with emergency nursing and also with uh, defence in the development of the Australian Service Nurses National Memorial, I think, as well. I um, I was asked by a colonel who you don't normally say no to, and I wasn't a colonel at that stage, um, if I'd take on the chairperson role for the fundraising effort for the Australian Service Nurses National Memorial on Anzac Parade, Canberra. So our job was to raise $2 million across Australia for, um, for the um, memorial to open. And I loved getting to know many of the World War II nurses through that. We stood on street corners and we raised money. We did really well in Queensland. So their resilience and their absolute desire to, for them, they were acknowledging the World War I nurses and the tough times they'd had and the Boer War nurses. And um, I just got to know some incredible women who, some of them were prisoners of war in, um, you know, Singapore, post the fall of Singapore, and, um, and others were debilitated by health, but yet were so passionate about creating this absolutely beautiful memorial. And the Australian College of Nursing was really instrumental in putting all of that together and you know I went down to the opening on the 2nd of October 1999 and um, it was it had rained for about four days non-stop before that and when we woke up the morning it was a beautiful day in Canberra and uh, the smile on the faces of those women and Vivian Bullwinkle was one of those women whom I'll never forget and um, she was at the opening and Margaret Hamilton and all of the people that I'd had a lot to do with. Vivian I hadn't but I will never forget her and um, it was on the wall it said beyond all praise and that's that was none truer words really and I suppose I've continued that desire to acknowledge and commemorate those nurses who've gone through the Defence Force many years before in really difficult situations. And each year I um, coordinate a vigil in Anzac Square in Brisbane. And uh, we do that to commemorate those nurses and the sacrifice. And 
the nurses more widely, of course, um, as well, because nurses contribute so much to the care of our patients. So we we stand in front of a beautiful statue of a World War II nurse caring for a soldier in Anzac Square, and it's been placed in the redevelopment in a really wonderful spot. And, um, you know, it's... Um, it's really something that I hold true. So I suppose, you know, there's lots of linkages really that I think that the medal was part of, but it, I'm very proud to wear that Order of Australia medal for services to nursing. And, uh... So so you, so you should be, um, really. Um, the, uh, the vigil wasn't, you weren't able to attend that in person this year, I'm guessing? No. No, but um, mm. through the help mm. of the Office of the Chief Nurse in Brisbane, um, it was done by Zoom and it was our first time. And Michelle Gunn from the office really was wonderful in helping to facilitate that happening. But next year, we're going back to Anzac Square and we'll work on how to live stream it. Um, ah, yeah, that would because, be great. Yeah, yeah. And Grace Wilson was the matron in World War One in the Third Australian Hospital in in Lemnos, and she went to school at um, Brisbane Girls Grammar School. So we have those beautiful long, young voices sing with us each vigil time. So that's the connection as well to continue that on. So, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, I hadn't thought, I hadn't really wanted to talk about um, COVID nineteen, but you know, you're a director at a at a large um, public health hospital. Um, how are things going at your end? I suppose Queensland, we're really doing well. I feel a bit sorry for yeah. Victoria at this time, and and hope that that does settle. Um, one of our defence nurses working in emergency went to Tassie the first time, so we certainly do have links as well with that. Um, I think it's really tough for emergency and ICU, and I look after both of those areas, being tasked to increase capacity by, you know, two third by heart, double or treble. And um, that's going to be an ongoing thing. I think it's a great thing too, that we will have a bit of uh, ability to bring this into um, fruition each time a situation like this occurs. So I, um, but it's been tough creating workarounds, yet there's been great opportunities to change things that we never could have changed before that they've just said yes to. And I think we've learned a lot from that. You know, certainly Zoom meetings and Teams meetings and all the rest of it, we've learned to just sit and look at a computer most of the day at work, really. <laughs> um, so lots of good things. Yeah, <laughs> and also we we've you know you've alluded to that we had a really good training for you know the next virus. There's always mm -hmm. the talk of the next virus or the mm -hmm. next wave, yeah. and we've had loads of training. We haven't actually used it in anger, and I've certainly <laughs> seen in my colleagues, um, you know, used any of the preparation, the changes to the mm -hmm. physical environment in the emergency department, or those sorts of things. We haven't mm -hmm. used those, and a lot of the anxiety or the the feelings that I've seen around that with my colleagues is that. Um, 
that dread of anticipation because you don't really know mm. where the cracks in mm. your prep preparation no. and systems are until you until mm. you use it in full swing. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah. I think we've learned a lot and we'll we'll be better at doing this because we've never really done this in my years of nursing to this level. So, you know, we're no, we're not to this level. Yeah, no. Yeah, which is great, you know. So Yeah, and definitely in um when we had SARS, SARS one, if we want to call it that. Mm. It, it, we we didn't, you know, it, it felt a lot of work at the time. Yeah. But looking back at it, really, it, it doesn't feature no. in my memory. No. Um, no. And it feels like a million years yeah, ago, to be honest. It and it's not that not that no. terribly long ago. No. And I think the scary bit this time was that the staff were really frightened about themselves and their families and and I think that was probably a bit of the difference for us this time and we had to work through all of those but um, you know I think that's been great great for health facilities to look after their staff and provide as much information and you know ways of doing it in, into the future Cliff so yeah yeah Finally, this is um, a question that I do intend to pose uh, to the emergency care community over the coming months and, you know, depending on this podcast, uh, maybe even years. Um, if you were to wake up tomorrow and broadly the state of emergency care was perfect, what would that look like to you? that patients would come into the emergency department if they had to come into hospital, that we'd manage to get them seen, sorted and out within four hours, <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that we didn't have sort of access block in situations, but that we could really flow patients really well, that we had better ability to link in with patients out in the community that there was better resources out there, you know, at night so that they didn't struggle to come in, that we could fund them going to their GPs or, you know, um, a lot of the times it's because they don't have private insurance that they come in to us. There's lots of things that we need to back up out into the community to do that better. Um, there's a lot of mental health issues out there and EDs are the places where these patients come and I've always been very passionate about mental health care and um, will continue to need to do that. But outside, if there's many more resources, but it all takes money. And Australia's got such an incredible health system. I think we just need to work on the challenges ahead. There's going to be challenges wherever we go. So, um, but I think with the strength of our college, we can actually help do the, the best we can for these patients um, to look at the broader issues and not just them coming in the door, which we face every day. Yeah, 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 no, very, all very true. And, you know, we've identified that we can seemingly find funds when there's an epidemic and we can build things and we can get extra resources and we can actually create access all of a sudden um, and it's kind of a little bit disappointing to see as we're pulling back a little bit with our preparations that that's starting to come away again that's starting yeah. to be yeah. removed from us um, our access yeah. to, to yeah. Yeah. But, um, and Cliff, one of the things I probably should have mentioned is the 
the great honour that you talked about the Order of Australia Medal, but also the great honour that the College of Emergency Nursing bestow, bestowed on me, which was the um, an absolute surprise. Um, the college, the board had got me out of the room at one stage for some other uh, ulterior voting method, but I realised then they were probably trying to plan this. I had no idea. People hid me the day that it was on. They got my family down to be there to see me, and I was absolutely no idea that this was going on. So I really, um, really think that that was such an incredible honour that I'll never forget. And um, and it was for leadership in the discipline of emergency nursing and. You know, to me, that's something I'll always remember. I, I think of the people who've, who have got that award, which I love being able to give out each two years. And people like Trish Allen was the first one. Well, Trish was a person who actually supported the college in being able to be um, survive financially. She was a wonderful financial director and she was really an incredible backup. And without her in those early days, we probably might have fallen over. And then people like Julie, Julie, um, uh, Julie Considine, oh, memory, yeah, Considine, and um, Kate Curtis and Diane Crowl Di Crowlin and um, Marg Fry, all of those people um, have received this order um, this honor and um, and I always think they're just such incredible people that have got this Julie Fanuc and OAM leadership in an emergency nursing medal and um, it's a real honor to be able to award them and I feel a bit of a fake when I do that each year oh. they're incredible people <laughs> and all of which we're hoping to have on the show coming up in the next couple of months oh, that's, that's great uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's right. just trying to find time in their schedules to to schedule <laughs> to them do in. That. Yeah. Julie, oh, sorry, Julie, it has been an absolute pleasure. It, it, just for the benefit of the listeners, I've taken time out of your Sunday afternoon, mm -hmm. and I would love you to get back to your family. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so much for being on the first episode of This Emergency Life, and I dare say we'll be seeing you in the future. Thank you so much, Julie. Thanks very much, Cliff. Lovely to talk with you. What a great way to start this emergency life. Thanks, Julie Fanukan. Um, the music you're listening to is by Ben Mastwick and the Millions. We'll be back quite quickly this week with um, Phil Russo talking about the effect of COVID-19 on our patient care in the emergency department and then we'll return to pretty much a fortnightly offering of this emergency life thanks for listening hope you stay tuned you've been listening to this emergency life a podcast about your emergency life mm -hmm.